energy going this morning. That was phenomenal. So thank you for your singing. I heard you guys singing out, worshiping God. That's awesome. Really, really awesome. Nothing better than that. By the way, that's just, that's a glimpse of kind of, you know, how heaven's going to be. It's going to be like 24-7 worship. That's, that's kind of how it describes it. And so, uh, you know, I don't know if we're going to be doing like riffs and stuff. I, I have no idea. You know, it's probably on a harp. I'm saying, you know, I'm just totally kidding. I don't know how it's going to be, but it's going to be awesome. That's, that's what it's going to be. And so thank you. You get a glimpse of that here on earth. Uh, it's pretty phenomenal. Well, we are uh, here, and we're glad that you guys are here. Welcome to you uh, who are here for the first time. I know there's a few of you, so welcome. Glad to have you guys. Uh, we're glad you guys are here at Northridge. We're in the, right in the middle of a three-week series called Investing in Forever. Investing in Forever. Uh, this is right in the middle. Last week, Chris talked about investing in yourself. Talked about investing in yourself and, and talked a little bit about what that means and all those kind of things. Uh, and what I want to do is actually I want to share a scripture that Chris shared last week because it's a perfect bridge really to what we're talking about this week. So we talked last week about investing in yourself, your relationship with God and how that works. And, and now today we're talking about investing in others. Uh, but I want to share this scripture. Take a look at it. Luke six forty five. This is what it says. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. An evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say, or we could say what you do as well, flows from what is in your heart. Essentially what this verse is talking about, this passage, is overflow. Okay? And uh, I, I'm a visual person because, you know, sometimes it just takes me a little while. <laughs> Anybody that knows me and has talked to me for any length of time knows that's true. Um, but the truth is, this is talking about overflow. It's very simple. We invest things into our lives every day. We make decisions as to what goes into our life, kind of like this glass. Okay, we pour it in, we pour it in. Could be movies, could be videos, could be music, could be the friends that we're hanging out with, could be the places that we go to, right? But we fill ourselves up with these things. The decisions that we make, it fills us up with something. Could be good, it could be bad, it could be neither. It could be emptiness, it could be things that really are impactful. It could be things that have no impact at all. It could be things that are destructive. It could be things that are really helpful and healthy. My guess is we probably have a mixture of those things, don't we? But what we invest into our lives, into our heart, what this passage says is what's eventually going to happen is it's going to come out. And that is called overflow, right? It's overflow. It's not going to affect only us. But as we eventually see, our heart gets full of this stuff, and eventually it has to come out. Right? And eventually, oh, and, and we say something, we do something. It could be good, it could be bad. And what happens? What happens when this overflow happens? Does it affect just the glass? Obviously not. You can't quite see it. I can see it. I've made quite a mess. Okay? Hopefully none of you had to go to the bathroom either, by the way. I don't know if you heard that. Sorry about that if you did. Um, but the overflow, eventually what we put in, it's going to come back out, isn't it? The overflow is going to happen and it's going to affect ourselves and it's definitely going to affect everybody around us, our family, our friends, our neighbors, our, the strangers that we bump into. How many of you have just gone off on somebody like a cashier that was moving way too slowly and it really had nothing to do with the cashier. It's because you've had a horrible day. 
You know what that is? That's overflow. (laughs) That's overflow. So what we invested in is so critically important. And today, we are talking about the next facet of that overflow because what we invest into ourselves is critically important. However, why it's so important is not only does it affect ourselves, but it affects others and how we invest in others. Who we invest in, how we invest in them. So that's what we're going to talk about today. One thing that you can always be sure of, of God's Word, of the Bible, is that He's always going to call us to a higher standard of living. He's always going to call us to a higher standard. And our passage today is no different. If you like to follow along in your Bible or on your phone, you know, we follow along all kinds of different ways. I personally like my phone, actually. I have the the Bible app on there, and I just follow along. However you like to follow along, this is the passage we're going to be in, James 2, 14 through 18. Uh, We'll we'll put it up there in a minute. Uh, But James 2, 14 and 18 talks about this example of stepping it up a notch in your faith. Uh, James talks about somebody, a person, not a specific person, but a person who in general has not stepped up in their faith or they have faith that's not really active. And James is going to use some pretty strong language. And when I say strong, I don't mean he's going to swear at us, okay? I'm just saying he's going to use some very strong words to describe somebody who claims they have faith but doesn't show it. He has some really strong words for us. This is a powerful passage. So let's read it, then we'll unpack it. Sound good? James chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. This is what it says. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters... Say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions. Can that save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing. And you say, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm, eat well. And then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Now, someone may argue some people have faith and then others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. This is this is a really powerful passage. (laughs) And you can tell the strength in that, can't you? You feel like he's just hammering home on some things that he's probably been dealing with for a while. This is almost like James is going, ah, come on. And he writes this passage and goes, get it together. You can just sense that, can't you? He uses some pretty strong words in there. And there's one clear main theme in there, isn't there? If you have faith, if you have genuine faith, belief in Christ, and you believe he's real and you believe it should impact your life, then guess what? The result will be good deeds. Things that you do that are good and helpful, not only for yourself, but for other people. In other words, this passage is saying, if you have true, genuine faith, then you will invest in other people. In a positive, in a powerful, in a godly, in a God-ordained way. That's just what's going to happen. It doesn't work to not have that. That's what this passage is saying. It's talking about this main thing. Now, what James does is he kind of uses some strange language, but did you notice in there he actually, he's a really good pastor uh, because he uses an illustration in the middle of there. No, he didn't dump a bunch of green water everywhere. Um, you know, it, I, I'm not quite as good as James. What, what can I say? 
But he has an illustration in there, verses 15 and 16. This is what he says. He, he gives us an illustration. Suppose, hypothetically speaking, you see a brother or sister. By the way, that's not like family. That's just a person. A person in need who has no food or clothing. And you say, goodbye, have a good day. Oh, and, and stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? Translation is this. You see somebody in need. Okay, we're, we're going along about our day. And we are presented with somebody in need. And we say, man, that's rough. Well, I got to go. So... See you later. Have a great day. And, uh, and by the way, I'll pray for you. That's the Christian's way out, by the way. It's true. Now, you guys have heard me say this on Sunday mornings probably to you even. I mean, we've talked and we do go through something and you kind of share something and, and I'll say, I'll pray for you. And yeah, we, we can talk about that and hammer home on that. But we're talking about really when there is an immediate need that is put before us because somebody's in crisis or they're in need or there's something that has happened. And you know, we all know this. I can't necessarily point out, you know, when this happens, but we all know. Inside, we all know. We get that little prick, that little twinge, that little, I should help. Because somebody shared this or somebody called you or something happened and you shouldn't have witnessed it, but you did and... You feel that compulsion to do something. The key is, what do we do? Right? Do we invest in ourselves only, or do we choose at that moment, in that crisis, at that point, to invest in somebody else to get our hands dirty? Because I don't know about you, but when you see that, what is the first inclination? Sometimes our first inclination is like, what does this mean for me? If I get involved, this, this, this could mean time, this could mean money, this could mean I find out some things I don't want to know, right? All these things start percolating, and we're like, eh, you know, um, I will pray for you. And then we move on, and we don't actually meet any needs. And this is what this passage is talking about, that if we do that, if we have faith, if we believe we can help people, but we don't help people actively, like literally help them, then guess what? James says it, and it's not mincing words. He says, you know what your faith is? It's dead, and it's useless. I don't know about you, but has, has anybody called something that you do dead and useless before? That's what James is saying. Your faith is dead and useless if you don't act on it. If you just, if it's an intellectual belief thing and you never act on it, you never invest in other people, if it never drives you to action, your, your faith is dead and useless. That is, that is strong language, but it's also the truth. And James hammers home on this. Now, what he does is, then he gives us this illustration and then he summarizes kind of what he's trying to say. Go to verse 18. What does James says? James says, now, someone... I think he's probably heard this before, don't you think? Someone may argue, some people have faith and others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. What is James trying to say? He's really saying this is the crux of the matter. If you have faith, then good deeds is a result. That's all there is to it. You can't have 
genuine faith and then say, I'm really not going to take time to invest in people. It doesn't work. He says, you can't have faith or good deeds or you do good deeds and then maybe you'll get faith. It doesn't work that way. They're hand in hand. You have faith and therefore there's good deeds. It's fruit based on what you are, who you are. It's just a result. It's a DNA thing. It's an overflow that's going to happen because of how you're investing into yourself and choosing as a result to invest into others. And so he goes in there with all these things. But here's the question, though, I have, because this is always the question, you know, that I have to go to for myself. What does this mean for us? Practically speaking, what does this look like? Right? So I don't know about you, but the the question becomes, what does this look like for you and I? If if this passage is true and our faith needs to be active, we have to have good deeds as a result of what we believe, then then what does that mean for us? Well, that's a good question. I want to talk about two ways that I think uh, that this this can be put into proactive. And these are two kind of, uh, I guess, general ways that you can do this. And we'll talk a little bit more about specifics at the very end. The first way is reactive. Reactive investment in other people. Reactive investment in other people. The first one is reactive. We get an example of reactive, okay, something that we do based on something that happened. We get an example of reactive investment in others by Jesus himself. Luke chapter 9, verses 10 and 11. This is why, let me set it up for you. The apostles, the 12 apostles and Jesus have just gone through a season of time. Maybe it was all day. Maybe it was several days. We're not sure exactly how long, but it was a season of time. And they are investing in ministry. They've been out serving the community. They've been pouring their life out for people. I mean, just giving and serving and doing everything they can to help people constantly. They're just, they're exhausted. And the apostles, right before this, these two verses... The apostles and Jesus have now come back together. They've kind of been split up into small groups or on their own. And they come back together and they're ready for what we like to say is some R&R. How many of you like R&R? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's okay. I do too. Love it. Couch time, good. Okay. They're ready to just get back together, re-energize, reboot. I mean, they're exhausted emotionally, physically, spiritually. They just, they need to be rejuvenated. So they need to hang out with Jesus and hang out with each other for a while. You know how that that works, hanging out with people that just kind of re-energize you? That's what they need to do. I don't know if they're going to have a leadership conference or, you know, what they're going to do, but they were just going to hang out. But it doesn't work out that way. Read what happens. Verses 10, 11. When the apostles returned, they told Jesus everything they had done, all that ministry that they'd been doing. Then he slipped, Jesus slipped quietly away with them, the apostles, toward the town of Bethsaida. But the crowds found out where he was going, found out the vacation spot, and they followed him. He welcomed them and taught them about the kingdom of God, and he healed those who were sick. So this is an example of reactive investment. Jesus and the apostles, you know what their plan was? Their plan was to get away, to reboot, to re-energize, to hit the couch and turn on SportsCenter. Right? Oh, wait, that was, that was me. I'm sorry. I, I missed that. that was, that's me. That wasn't Jesus. That time. Okay? They wanted to re-energize. They wanted to just shut down for a while. And they're going to hang out. Maybe they're going to plan for the next season of ministry, whatever they're going to do. 
And they get into there, and all of a sudden they find when they get to where they're going to kick back and just do nothing, there's a whole bunch of people in need. Not part of the plan. In fact, it's the opposite of the plan. Like, we've been doing this for a long time now. We deserve some on our and our. And Jesus steps in and sets the example, as always, and says, you know what? There's some needs. Let's serve them, and then we'll get to the R&R eventually. And they begin teaching them. And actually, this leads up to the feeding of the 5,000. So there's going to be this miracle that happens. There's all this stuff that happens actually right on the heels of all this. Some amazing things that never would have happened if they would have said, you know what? You guys need to go away. Uh, we're tired. But instead, they chose to invest reactively to something that happened. It wasn't planned. It's just, hey, we need to respond to the needs that are now in front of us. Now, this is how reactive investment works. It means that we have to be prepared mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally, (laughs) hard one, financially, to meet needs when they come our way. I don't know about you, but that's some of the harder things for me. I can plan investment in others. In fact, I enjoy that. Me personally, I enjoy that. Reactive investment is hard for me. I don't know how you guys operate, but for me, it's hard. Because when I've got something planned to do, it's hard for me. When God brings somebody that's in need, I'm like, oh, this doesn't work with the plan. I've got soccer practice in like an hour. I've got a lot to do before that. You know what I mean? You guys have been there, right? You get the call, you get the email, you get the whatever. Somebody on the side of the road, you're like, no, 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 no. come on. Yeah? We've all been there, haven't we? Reactive investment is being prepared for what God is going to present to you. And believe me, it will happen. I'm sure you've probably already experienced it. Being ready to invest in others reactively. But there's also another kind, isn't there? The other kind of investment in others is proactive. This is very different than reactive. Proactive is when you specifically put a bunch of stuff on your calendar. You mark it off. I'm not going to invest in myself. I'm not going to invest only in my family. Maybe you do it together as a family. I'm not going to invest in, you know, just vacation. I'm not going to invest in whatever. I'm going to invest intentionally in somebody else. Right? It's planned. You put it on the calendar. Like it's set up. You're going to do it. There's not an option of doing anything else. This is what you're going to do this day. You're going to invest into somebody else. It's proactive. You've done it. You make it happen because you know God wants you to make it happen. Right? It's a different kind of investment. Uh, One example of this that I heard of, this was several years ago now. Um, There's a pastor named Michael Frost who uh, lives, I think he still lives, in a suburb of Sydney, Australia. And uh, Michael Frost was talking about this thing. It actually started as a reactive investment in other people and now has become, it actually right away became a proactive investment. So it was something that was presented to him and it became a proactive investment, something that they just planned that we're going to do this all the time. Uh, This is what happened. He lived in this huge suburb of Sydney, Australia, And um, the police authorities and the emergency personnel, they came to him one day and they said, listen, uh, Pastor Michael, we've got a major problem. Uh, There's this district 
on the weekends, specifically on Saturday night, uh, where there's lots of bars and everybody comes in, they get trashed, and the crime rate and the uh, abuse and the rape and the and the destruction of property and the battery charges and all the violence, all this stuff, is just getting worse and worse and worse. I mean, people are really, people are getting killed, people are getting hurt, uh, all these bad things are happening. And, and we've tried constantly tons of programs over the last several years, and we've not been able to make a dent in the crime. In fact, the crime has continued to increase. Haven't been able to do anything about it. So lo and behold, they, go, they decide to go to a local pastor. <laughs> and they say, we just wanted to come and see if you had any thoughts or ideas of what you could do. And Pastor Michael, uh, you, should, you should hear him speak. He's got that cool Australian accent, by the way. And, uh, but he talks about this, and he's a strong man of faith. His faith and good deeds go hand in hand. And so as a result of that, he tells the police chief, he says, yeah, I think we can come up with something. God has an answer. I'm not sure. I'll let you know, but I'm sure God has an answer for it. Well, it took several weeks, and he went to the other local pastors, and they, started, they gathered together, and they kind of started talking about this, and they'd come up with some ideas, you know, like a concert they could do on Saturday night in the square, you know, and all these kind of things. And Michael's like, this is stupid. We're not going to hold an event. There are needs happening. And so this is what they decided to do proactively. They decided to start um, gathering volunteers from their various churches. And Michael Frost kind of led the, the charge of this, of course. But they started gathering volunteers and some pastors too. And they said, okay, what we want you guys to do is to go out and we want you to be now what they call them is actually street pastors. And they sent them out on Saturday night to just be among the people and to their, their whole goal, this is their goal, was to love the people and to get them home safe. That was their goal. They're going to clean up the messes. They're going to give them rides. They're going to walk them home. If they wanted to talk about something in life, sure, we're here to listen. They're just there to love the people. And they sent them these volunteers out in droves on Saturday nights. And you know what started happening? That's all they did. They weren't pastoring. They weren't preaching. They weren't doing concerts. That's all they did. You know what started happening? The crime started coming down. And it dropped a few percentage points over the, la- over the first few weeks, few months. And uh, last I heard Michael Frost actually talk about this, uh, I think, I can't remember the percentage, but it was somewhere around the neighborhood of like 50% less crime. I mean, you talk to any local law enforcement and you drop crime by half, <laughs> unreal. And still to this day, they do this. In fact, they've, they've expanded this all around the world. In fact, I think maybe Michael Frost got this idea from London. They started this in London or something like that. But that's all they did. They started investing in other people proactively. And by the way, okay, by the way, remember, understand this is not like an 8 to 9 or 8 to 10 o'clock in, at, on Saturday evening thing. This is like from 10 until like 5 in the morning. And the, these are people who follow Christ, and so they have to go to church like two hours later. And yet they do it every Saturday. That's what they do. They invest. Now they have enough people, they rotate them out. <laughs> so you don't have to be like, like this every Sunday. <laughs> oh, I'm so tired, you know. Proactive investment. A choice that you make to say, I'm going to do this. 
regardless of whatever else is going on. I'm going to invest in others. So we have these two ways, but there's one more uh, opportunity that I think sometimes it's scary to us. I don't know. Sometimes I, a lot of people think that it probably wouldn't be scary for me, but it can be at times for me. Uh, But one other way that we can invest in others is to invite them into an experience that we know is valuable, namely for us, Northridge Church or a local church, where we talk about what we need to be doing as followers of Christ in our faith. How do we actively live this out? Um, Just about, I don't know about you, but maybe that gives you the squeamies a little bit like, oh, here we go. I have to talk to my neighbor. I'll come to Northridge in the village center. It's weird. So if you have some qualms about that, I just, I have an option for you, a creative way to do this. And, and, uh, and we've got it in video form, of course. So just check out this video, give you an idea of maybe how you can invite somebody. this like every week but would you like to ride to church with me oh come on mrs edwards you'll like my church we have some hot music it may not be what you're bumping at all but it's hot we get down what do you say mrs edwards oh i suppose I've heard it said that 80% of first-time church visitors come because someone personally invited them. All people need to feel loved and wanted, and for some people, it just takes having someone offer to give them a ride to church. We have something great going on at this church. People's lives are being transformed by God's love. Your homework this week is to find at least one person who could use a little more of that love and invite them to come with you next week. Trust me, it's worth the extra effort. Mrs. Edward, you want to listen to some music on the way? Go ahead, your choice. Okay, here we are. trip <clears throat> well you might not choose to do it that way um but the the truth is out there there was a guy uh named tom rayner he's a kind of a church leader guru business guy too written a lot of books and they did a, a huge study over all 50 states and canada i think they had to include canada i guess but uh i'm just kidding i have nothing against canada um but uh, they include all 50 states in Canada, and they, they surveyed like thousands and thousands of people. And, uh, and they found a lot of interesting things, and who they surveyed specifically were people that didn't go to church. They were unconnected completely to church, uh, unchurched, whatever you want to call it. 
and they, they just wanted to see, you know, why they didn't go and, you know, just find out some, some interesting information. And they found out some really surprising things. But I wanted to share, uh, I'm not going to share about the whole study. Uh, if you want it, I, I, can, I can send you an article on it, whatever. But there was one really interesting thing, I think probably the most surprising thing that they discovered. And this is, I just wanted to share it with you. As they were talking with these people, they found that 96% of the people, these are people that are not connected to church in any way, 96%, they said, were at least, they checkmarked boxes, right? They checked at least somewhat likely at the minimum that they would definitely go if somebody personally invited them. 96%, just so that we're clear, that's basically everybody. Okay? That should make you pause. Because, and here's why. When we're talking about investing in others, there's, there's, there's a problem sometimes that we have in our thinking. And it is, we're going to invest in others. We're going to serve them. We're going to do everything we can for them, but we never invite them to church. Because we feel like it's offensive. Our culture has done a really good job of coming up with that myth. Or sometimes... <laughs> This is just as bad. Sometimes we have a lot of people that will invite like crazy to church and they never invest a dime or time or effort or energy into that person ever. Can I just say that both are required? Invest in others, but also invite others because they're really the both are the same thing. You guys are here because you experience value, you experience strength, and, and we, we want to worship God here. But it would be wrong of us to just keep that to ourselves. Wouldn't it? If we know of something that's highly valuable to us, to not invite, at least to invite. Yes, I'm, you know how many no's I've received? Inviting people to church? It's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. Because that 96%, it might take a lot of people inviting them, and then they're somewhat likely. Because they're just, they're just worried about it. It's something different. I understand that. I get that. I don't like change new things either. 96%. So my challenge to us this morning is very simple. Invest yourself in other people. Invest in other people. Because if we have genuine faith, then it will show good works. We need to have the reactive part on our mind, on our heart all the time. So that when God brings that person, when you get that call, by the way, since I talked about this, my guess is there's going to be a heightened version of this for some of us. So wait for it this week. Reactive opportunity is going to happen. You're going to get a call. You're going to see somebody stuck on that crazy belt line. Right? On the side of the road, you're going to uh, find out about a family in crisis. You're going to hear a story from somebody. Maybe they meant it for gossip and you find out and you go, I could help. Instead of just talking about them. And you could make the difference. You find about somebody that's having a hard time, you make them a meal. You send them a note of encouragement. Instead of... Oh, you know what? Here's, I don't know, this, we, Laura and I have even talked out loud about this. I shouldn't share this because this, this is bad. Oh, you know, they have a large family. They're probably taken care of. 
can I just, can, can I show you kind of the, the selfish side of our heart a little bit? I'm, I'm serious. I don't know what you say. I don't know what your excuse is, but we have them, don't we? When we hear of a need out there, what is the excuse that we tend to pull up and play it and go, yeah, I'm good. Now I'm going to do sports center. That, that's for me, right? Invest in others. When the opportunity arises, God gives us all kinds of opportunities. Give yourself to invest in other people. Isn't that one of the most beautiful things when we see other people willing to invest their lives into others? Because we know how powerful it is. And then the other side of this is invest proactively. Not just reactively, but invest proactively. We have all kinds of things that we need done at Northridge. Okay, so that's one facet. If you think you want to get involved in Northridge on Sunday mornings, there's things throughout the week. Uh, We have children's ministry. One of the most powerful ministries that happens is not in this room. Did you know that? That's the truth. I'm not just saying that to sound good so we can get more volunteers out there. I'm serious. I was involved. I did children's ministry for years. One of the most powerful things happens not in this room. Awesome stuff. Get involved in that. Uh, there's the food pantry. There's Wanakee Neighbor Connection. There's unbelievable organizations in our communities and in this area that you can get involved in, but we need to get involved and not just talk about it anymore. We have to get involved. Faith combined with good works is what we need. In fact, good works because of genuine faith is what we need. So my challenge is, Let's see what God can do together with all of us, individually and collectively, if we just allow ourselves to actively engage in others. Can we do that? And I get excited about seeing what we can do if that happens. Worship band is going to come up. Let's pray. God, um, James used some pretty strong words there. He says that our faith is dead and useless unless we have good works that happen as a result. So God, I pray, I pray that there is no faith in this community of Northridge that is dead and useless. I pray against dead and useless faith. I pray that you would just Infuse us with the motivation, the strength, the power to actively engage and invest in other people. I don't know, it's going to look different for all of us, but God, I pray that you would help us to do that. Impress upon us even now as we pray and as we sing, as we worship you. May you impress upon us, God, what you want us to do. Not only proactively, Make sure to get something on the calendar on a consistent basis. But then, Lord, also help us to be prepared for those things that we least expect when we least expect them. Help us, Lord, to be prepared to step up. Step up to the plate and be ready to go. God, may our faith be powerful, dynamic, and impactful, not only for ourselves but for everyone around us. God, we pray this all in your name.
the name of Christ. Amen.